Welcome to About Being Alive. I'm Jordan. I'm Jason. And thank you for joining us. Um, as usual, we'll be starting today off with a mindfulness practice. And today's practice is really simple, and hopefully it can be utilized in a variety of settings where you can practice this for 20 minutes, or even if you just have two minutes and you want a quick recharge or a way to connect with yourself, you can recall and and use this practice um, when you need it. So with that, um, let's begin. Find yourself a a comfortable seat. Um, If you're in a chair, notice your feet planted firmly on the floor. Your arms relaxed by your side, hands on your knees, your spine straight, chin slightly tucked down, and as if a string is gently pulling your head up towards the sky. And from here, we're going to go ahead and take three deep breaths. We're going to be breathing in through our nose. and out through our mouth, relaxing deeper on each breath as we inhale again through our nose, exhaling out, releasing any tension or stress from the day. And one more deep breath here, breathing in, all the way down into our diaphragm, and out through our mouth, settling into this moment now. And as you continue to breathe normally, what we're gonna do here is on your inhale, go ahead and repeat the phrase, accept. So as you're breathing in, internally say, accept. And as you exhale, say release. And these words will be our anchor along with our breath. So as you continue to breathe, inhaling in acceptance and exhaling release. If your mind at any time begins to drift, simply return to your breath and these words. And what these words do besides anchoring our attention is it's a way to communicate with our body and our mind. A way to recognize the opportunity to accept this moment, these feelings, these thoughts as they are, and also to release, to be continuously accepting and releasing so that we may be able to remain present and the only moment that exists, which is now. So take a few moments now and breathe in acceptance and exhaling release.
And now when you're ready, go ahead and wiggle your fingers and toes. Move your shoulders around. Gently open your eyes and return to the room. Thank you for that. It's yeah. delightful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, picked it up in favorite my favorite book related to spirituality, um, Awaken the Inner Shaman by Jose Luis Stevens. And he just gives a bunch of these, bunch of practices. That's why I love. It's just packed with practices. But that technique, what I like about it is it's something, it's enough of an anchor, right, where um, – I can do it even if I'm in, like I did in New York, sitting on the subway, right? So you can do it in a somewhat chaotic environment and still receive some of those benefits. So for me, at least, I found it's useful to to do um, in your daily life when you don't have that 20 minutes to sit down and, and really go into practice. Yeah, pure mindfulness is good because it's all feeling. Right. And it allows you to get out of the conceptual mind into the perceptual feel, don't think about it, just let things be absorbed. Saying that, it's really good to have a grounding anchor and bring in a little tasty conceptual thought, Mm -hmm. like accept, right? Because that allows us to stay focused. I don't know about you, but my level of focus here in the societal modern world (laughs) is not um, warrior-like. Right. And so to have that at times, be equipped with that, very nice. Yeah. Well, good, good. I'm glad. And hopefully uh, those participating also receive some benefit from it, too. Um, but uh, t- so today the topic is play. And um, I, I can speak for you as well here that uh, we both enjoy play and um, we try to incorporate play into our daily lives as much as possible, whether it's athletics uh, in the weight room or in interacting in a, in a business sense, right? In, in an organizational setting, um, finding, trying to find ways to incorporate play. If I could remind myself, I would want to have play be the fundamental nature to every second in life. Sometimes I forget. Yeah. It's, the, it's what happens. I get into my head. But if I could be walking on the street and I remember, oh, life is play. Right. And I just start walking with play. Yeah. I mean, that brings a smile on my face to think about it. Right. Like if you could have a billboard that would pop in front of you, random points throughout the day, like play. Just play and like period. Yeah. That's one of my goals in life is just to buy out billboards <laughs> and then put these kinds of not motivational quotes, yeah. but to put things, reminders. Right. Of how to be human. Yeah. Back into people's minds. Yeah. Well, play, I think if that's a goal, play would definitely be one of those. Right. Like play is so fundamental to being human. All right, define play in your words. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So play to me is um, an expression of spontaneous exploration. Um, and I made that incredibly vague on purpose. Yes. Right? Because I think it could take a variety of forms. Um, I'll give you an example. I was at a wedding recently and a bunch of little kids running around. And I was there where there was multiple groups of kids. They didn't know one another. But within 10 minutes, 
they had already created a game that was ever evolving, like rules were constantly changing, and they were completely immersed in this reality that they had created. And that particular game involved, it involved movement, it involved sound, it involved all these different types of expression, right? Um, but I don't think play is necessarily um, directly tied. It doesn't need to be physical in a sense, right? It doesn't need to be physical movement. I think it's it's broader than that. But that was just an example of how it was so creative. They were exploring what what they could create with their own imagination. Um, so that's, I guess that's loosely how I define it, but I'd love to hear yours as well. Yeah, Piaget, the famous child psychologist, actually had that aspect kind of integrated into a level of psychological de- development for children. Mm-hmm the ability to create game Mm. without really using words children can form games together yeah it's without telling each other these are the rules these aren't the rules right right they can just form it yeah and play is like that we don't i think true play we do not think we act Mm -hmm. and feel and respond to movement and thought with a sense of childlike innocence mm-hmm. and complete acceptance and failure. Yes. And I was, as you were speaking, I thought of failure because I think in play there's constant, there's constant failure, but the failure happens so frequently and so often and we're constantly adjusting to it. So it's, it's, we're constantly receiving feedback and adjusting to the feedback moment to moment. And I think that's that's an essential component of play is being open to that, is being open to constantly fall down and get up. Like a kid learning to walk, it's play for them, right? They're, you see them, they're like bobbing around with a yeah. smile on. They're not, they're not stern with their, you know, they're not like clenching, yeah, they, trying to. They fall, I'm never doing that again. Right, no, no, they're, they're moving and they're plopping down, they're getting up and they're, they're exploring. Um, and. I wonder if you ever heard this, but uh, like, quit playing around. Hmm. Hey, back, quit playing around. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 That is a little bit of a cultural, you know, passing down of something that is not it's counterintuitive to developing kids. Hmm. We think we're trying to make them be serious, take things seriously. Hey. Right. But the language comes out. We know where that's coming from because that person who's saying that, they lost the level of play. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to manufacture it as adults. How do we get back to that stage? And there's a lot of theories. Right. One theory is let's take it very seriously. Let's write it down. Yeah. Let's make sure you're focused. Right. Do not laugh. Yeah. This is real. Yeah. This is serious. Let's study play in a... In a lab, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, focus. Let's put it under a microscope and stare at it. And then you focus and you, you're, you're, and you squish yeah. up your forehead and that will help you focus. Right. It's weird how we start with this innate driver of play and then we go into losing it. Mm-hmm. And then we're trying to get back into it. Yeah. And you see, and I think that, you know, it's interesting that how play is focused in most, in, you know, most literature I'm familiar with as, a, as an aspect of child development. And at some point it loses steam and appeal as we move into adult development, right? Where we don't, or we don't place as much of an emphasis on it. It just becomes natural. Right. And, and effortless like it does as a child who just, there's always playing. 
Yeah. And, and you know, a large part is, is, is conditioning and this idea that life becomes more serious and we have more responsibility, um, that it becomes, it's not, you could say it's not as easy to play. Um, you could say that, but I don't know if that's true. I visited my brother in Boston. He's playing with my little nephews a year and a half. He plays. Yeah. He plays hard, man. (laughs) He is, he wakes up, he's playing. Yeah. 6 a.m., it's time to play. Yeah. Let me get these blocks. Don't know what I'm doing, but I'm playing. Right. He just, he's at it. Yeah. Constantly for hours. It's hard. It's really hard for me to get locked in into a flow-like state for Mm -hmm. play. So flow being the match of the right amount of skill with the right amount of challenge creates this phenomenal experience of being very engaged in activity where you're using a certain skill set. You're being challenged. Kind of going back to failure, challenge is required because it stretches your skill set. You need that ability to possibly fail to know that you're getting stretched far enough. If not, too little challenge, too much skill, boredom. Not enough challenge, too much challenge, not enough skill, anxiety. Yeah. So in that case, was did your skills of block building, did they not meet the challenge? Was the challenge not great enough? Or, you know, did it come down to... I guess, where did you fall out of flow? With with playing with the child. Yeah. I think yeah. I fell out of flow because I didn't have the structure uh, in place for challenge to emerge. Okay. I think kids, maybe they don't need as much structure because their yeah. mind can fill it in. Mm. It just it just emerges. Right. Out of, out of interacting with the environment, their pattern recognition, they can just see patterns. Mm. And they can just start playing with things. Whereas we now can play chess, we can play very complex games once understanding the system. Maybe it's harder for adults to organically put in a system to start playing mm. in like children do. That's interesting. And I could also see it going the other way where if you reverse it, you know, because you're much older and you've lived a longer life, you have all these structures in place. So now all of a sudden, um, the ability, when there, when there is no structure, um, it, for a child, right, the child doesn't have anything. So it's a blank slate. So every, like a, these, there's so much novelty in just placing a block. He could switch it four degrees and this is completely novelty. new, a new experience. That's for a game. Him, right. And, and maybe, maybe you haven't switched the block to that same degree, but you may have seen it somewhere or there's just, that's, that slot's already been taken up. So that novelty may be a component of flow or the ability to imagine challenges, right? Yeah. I think the imagination in pl- both in play and in getting into flow plays a huge role. Uh, and I would argue, and I think, it, you know, even in flow, um, it, it's something that's underutilized, I think, and undermentioned in that in that field of study of our ability with to utilize and to flex our imagination, so to speak, in order to create the ideal structure for us to experience flow. In regards to the, like turning a block. Yeah. And I think a structure to create more play would make things a lot more, make things subtle. Yeah. By noticing more. There's a lot of noise. We can't notice as much. When we're playing every key on the keyboard, we can't hear a single note. 
play one key and just mm. listen to it draw out one note, mm. things become a lot subtler. Yeah. And so if I really slowly turned a cup 90 degrees and then sat there looking at it, it might be boring at first. Right. But suddenly things appear very interesting when there's a little a little tension in the air. Yeah. Upon going through my comedy clown workshop that I did a few weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. this is a fundamental aspect of clowning, not face painting clowning, but more of a comedy clown. I like how that disclaimer is, has to be mentioned every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> yeah. It's this ability to create tension in the air. Mm. And out of tension comes humor, comes interest. And I think play, the, one of the main ingredients of play is interest. Without interest, boredom is the soul sucker of play. When things get quiet and I talk slower, do we feel it? Mm -hmm. Do you feel it? Yeah. There's something there yeah. that happens of what's going to happen. That's attention. It's, it's very mysterious. Mm -hmm. Like there's a tension pulling me in. If we wait too long, it becomes, it becomes nothing. But I think that we can do that, especially with our words, the way the, the slowness that we speak. That's why a lot of comedic timing is everything yeah, in comedy. Right. Everything. People who are skillful at timing, they win. Yeah. And I think that's true for business. That's true for comedy. It's true for interactions with relationships. Timing creates tension, and out of tension births play. That's an interesting tie-in between timing and tension and play. Uh, but specifically thinking, I mean, just as you were speaking, I think that's a great way that we can begin to play with the way we communicate and we speak. For example, right, play in the way we space out our words or different words we choose to enunciate for with the intention of seeing what happens, right? I think that's what a lot of play is, is, What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Yeah. What? It, what it, yeah. What if I say this or what if I say that? Um, and that is it, it makes life more interesting for for everyone. Right. For it makes it more interesting for you when you bring up that tension, when you create that long pause. And I can feel that tension and I can feel the discomfort arising. Right. Yeah. You can be mindful of it because it is like this wave and then you sit with it and then you can kind of let feel it go down. Right. And, um, and it, yeah, and, and also to the point of the cup, right? I think there's a difference between a lot of times we think of play and I think that one of the reasons why uh, you look at some of the exercise trends, right? You see CrossFit, uh, you see really two major trends. You see this hyperactive, um, uh, high-powered, what am I thinking of? There's a term for it. High-intensity training, right? Hit training. So you see CrossFit, you see Orange Theory, you see these gamified systems that are meant to develop really high intensity to induce flow, like that kind of play. And then on the other hand, you see this, you see movement, right? Mm. You see this movement training where individuals will slow down like capoeira, right? The Brazilian dance art or um, just a variety where individuals are really trying to explore the subtle movements of their body to integrate. So Mobility. it's yeah, it's so it's really slow and you're paying attention to every subtle movement in order to for, further explore and play with what's possible. And and both 
I think they're both pathways to because they both require different types of concentration, mm -hmm. right? And different types of engagement. So when you're saying moving the cup, you know, like a, a simple way to play is how softly can I pick this cup mm -hmm. off the table when I take a sip, right? Yeah. I mean, the other way is not quite as interesting, or it could be a little messier. Like, how hard can I slam it when I put how it down? How fast can you drink that espresso? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll do that. I don't want to follow you after you right. finish that chugging of espresso. Right. But a play could be like, okay, how fast can I drink this espresso while catching it all in my mouth without yeah. spilling on my shirt? Like, that would be – that's a high challenge and, and one I won't do here, but I might do it at home with, not, with water first and then move to espresso. You know, but um, – what, the, what I think what we're getting at here is this perspective of play, mm. right? Is adopting a perspective of play and taking that with you, whatever it is you're choosing to do. And I mean, I think maybe you could speak on this, but you see it in organizations, right? You see organizations that are starting to become interested in creating an environment that's conducive to play with, with I mean, Google, right? I mean, what else is there? So there's going to be one way to create open work areas right. yeah. and what emerges when there's hyper connectivity during the workplace. And then the other one is perhaps spending 10% of your working hours on anything that you want. Two different things. I think those are two different pathways, maybe right. similar. One pathway is slow down, refocus. What do you want to do? If you could get paid to do anything, what would you do? The other one is what happens when we let the barn out? Yeah. Classic idiom that I just made up. What happens if we let the barn out, let all the animals out and see what happens and emerges? You know, all the cows chilling with the chickens and all the other farm animals that are familiar on McDonald's yeah, farm. Yeah. What happens when we emerge and let the diversity happen in an open space? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it is two different. It's it's those two different speeds. I think it is, and and it you know, and it's also uh, you know, one's external, one's more in, internal, mm -hmm. and then you you know, you also see it with, and I think the same could be applied with, you know, different physical structures, or you see ping pong tables, right, or these active active stations that are placed in there, and you also see meditation rooms and yoga rooms, so offering different settings for play and different opportunities for employees to play because I think innately what comes out of play is, is creativity. I think organizations want that creativity. I, I, I think some of the intentions by HR leaders and organizations to increase creativity, this, this ephemeral idea of let's innovate more. Yeah. Their intention is I think kind of surface level. Because one of the side effects of trying to create as much play as possible uh, is uh, maybe a detrimental version of passion. Hmm. What happens if someone becomes obsessively passionate about their work? Burnout. So there's this idea of passion uh, can be looked at in harmonious passion and obsessive passion. Harmonious passion is there's a clear boundary. You have a sense of value system aligned with what you're doing in the rest of your life and everything else. Obsessive passion is one that doing anything else in your life is being an obstruction to your well-being because you cannot focus on that one area that you love. I think we look up to that in America, 
this idea of, oh, that guy, hard, he's a hard worker. Oh man, I wish I had that much passion in my work. There's so many negative outcomes to obsessive passion. Hmm. It's very scary and burnout and low boundary. Two different sides of the coin, two different sides of passion. Do you think that in, in the state of obsessive passion, or for those who you know, might be predisposed to experience that. Um, you know, what are some ways to, I don't know, I don't know if play is the right solution, but maybe, maybe how can they, I guess, how can they begin to pull out and perhaps experience more of that harmonious passion? I think one possible route is to really accept how much tension Mm is required for true well-being and play in life. There's probably other things in life that create more har- harmonious passion, like really why do you want obsessive passion? What is your end goal? Is it to play or is it to get some sort of money outcome? Because mm-hmm. one fundamental piece of harmonious passion is the intrinsic drive, right. doing it for the sake of doing alone. Yeah, you're not. It's not for a means to another end. And I think obsessive passion has the goal in mind that this activity that I'm uh, obsessively passionate about is a means towards some other end. Right. A car, a mansion, a trophy that I'm, I'm okay, that I'm lovable, that I exist. And I've been there. I mean, I love trophies in sporting competitions. I love getting that intramural t-shirt. I'm so proud of it. And I think that there's a fine line that we all live within both of those worlds. And it's how do we, do it correctly. Yeah. The idea of living in both worlds, I think is, you know, I, at times I feel like I have both, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I could be engaged one day where uh, I'll definitely be operating from a space or fueled by that, an obsessive passion to the point. And I, what I noticed in those states and one maybe indicator that you're there is it's hard to come out, right? right? Cause you've gone so deep and you've been become so invested that you might be lying in bed at the end of the day and your mind, you, you can't get your mind to stop, right? Or you're still thinking about the topic or this the frequency of your thoughts is is higher than normal. Um, whereas if it's harmonious, um, it, it happens and you experience the positive emotions associated with that and then it subsides. It comes and goes. It comes and goes. It's like a tide that came in and now it's going back out and you can continue on to the next activity. Uh, you know, so, and, you know, they both serve a purpose, right? There's times where I was like, wow, I wish I could just tap into that where that obsessive passion is because I need it right now, right? I have a deadline and I need to plug in, you know? Yeah. Um, so being able to access both without being governed and, and and you know, having them as your servants rather than your master, I think could be helpful. I think the chase for being the best is intoxicating. And I think that's the driver for obsessive passion. Mm. I'm going to win. I'm going to be the best in this thing. And how cool is that to be the best? How cool is it to reach our fullest potential in something, in some skill? At the end of the day, does it really quite matter to be the best or to live in a playful way. Hmm. I don't know what the answer is because I do want to end my time here with some sort of iconic, legendary gift to the world 
that I leave it better than I um, came in? How can I contribute to other people's happiness the best way possible? It's a dangerous game, though, when the goal is to be the best because there are sacrifices. Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. he was known for his ultra competitiveness to a very um, dangerous level. I mean, he was addicted to gambling. The reason why he left the NBA, newsflash, he didn't actually really want to play baseball that bad. It's a hot take, but hot take. I'm with it. This is not the first controversial podcast no. <laughs> no, to include no. that hot right. take. No, 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 yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with it. And, I, I, and if you look at his personality traits, um, it, it makes sense. And beyond that, I think either you brought it to point, be the best. That, that could mean a lot of things, right? Because you could right. be the best, compa- best compared to what, right? Are you the best to ever play the game? Are you the best at this certain skill? Or are you the best you you could be my the best jason today right compared to the jason yesterday yeah and both i think could drive you know could require that require a certain amount of drive and sacrifice i think there's i think the way you frame it and the way you phrase it and communicate that with yourself will ultimately determine the the outcome right because if you want to be the best like you have to define what is the best to you because the best for you is a playful person who's contributing good to the world through acts, intentions, and and different mediums, then that might then you'll you know you'll have to develop play through that. Yeah, it would be like a, a necessary byproduct of that. I think that's the goal is to have some sort of intention that creates play as the end goal. Yes. Versus if my goal was to be the best that ever did this better than that other person, like if I were playing basketball and my goal was I'm going to be better than MJ, yeah, Michael Jordan. I think that's going to um, disintegrate all potential for play yeah, and actually keep me from being legendary status. Yeah. Uh, how do you deal with that drive for competition? In a healthy and an unhealthy way. Yeah, uh, not always well. <laughs> um, in a sense of uh, most of most of my life has been I've been in competition, and it's it's very ingrained to the point where I have to be aware of that tendency, and at times it's operating in inappropriate environments, right? Um, whether that be even in in group conversations or because there's so much as an athlete you're you're comparing yourself to others whether you want to or not right you're being ranked you have you're you're compared to minutes you have other players at your position the coaches are comparing you there are, are ranking systems that compare you which in my opinion and I could have a whole podcast on this are detrimental to development at certain times because it gives false you, the, there's too much development you can't claim people are at this level when there's so much growth to happen right uh, but but it creates this comparison and wanting to best one another and i think what happens a lot of times is that in that developmental process so much of it is focused externally that if someone would have told me at a younger age when that competitiveness was you know being developed and being if i could harness it to be the best you can be uh, where now I'm competing against myself from yesterday every day where I wake up and I remember who I was yesterday and the purpose is to be, be better than that. 
that would have that would you know change a lot of dynamics and interactions. Um, sometimes that competitive force allows me to get a lot done and allows me to push myself further than um, I thought possible, or maybe some of my some of my peers could. Um, at other times, it pushes me into a place of uh, of self criticism or um, or you know qualities of, of you know exercising less than desirable coping skills or um, you know th- there is a light and dark side to it and and I, th- I think you know to your point being the best I mean if you can focus on being the best than you were yesterday and you can start to channel it towards that then that's a positive aspect because I think it's a healthy energy I think it's energy yeah. it's energy right it's neither healthy nor unhealthy it's our choice of how we choose to channel it that will determine which value it takes on. It's energy for play. Right, yeah. And that there's a meta game in competition being how can I be competitive, inner competitive, and how do I drown out the noise? Because it seems like the whole world is putting the pressure on us to be compared to somebody else. Yeah. Whether it's my brain's biases to compare myself to other people, even if it's someone in a completely different domain that I don't even want to be successful in that domain – the brain will compare. Yeah. It's a biasy. We all have it. And some of us have learned coping skills to deal with that. Every single media sports outlet. Well, is he better than MJ? Right. Is he the right. real goat? Yeah. Greatest. Of all time. Of all time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't handle the pause. I had to, I had to jump it up. And so yeah. the, tr- the meta trick and the meta game is, is how do we compete right? Because... I think we all are searching for that that flow experience where time slows down or speeds up. We're completely merged in the activity and the act, and I lose my sense of self and I'm one with the activity in this divine, playful, creative, joyful way where the the day will go by and I'll look back and say, "Man, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. We want that." And to have that requires tension. That's, this is my MO right now is tension is required in everything in life. Competition, storylines, movies, Romeo and Juliet, they don't just hook up. There's tension the entire time of will they, won't they. That is what draws us in. The greatest games that we've played as athletes are the 22 to 22. Who's going to win? You win by two. Next point wins. Yeah. Oh my God, we're tied. Here we go. Here yeah. we go. We're locked in. We want that. And so I'm right now fascinated with play as in how do we not only win, but again, that metal, that meta game, how do I win, but also get to that level with my competitors? So we're all playing also. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And, you know, as you, as you spoke of that, I thought of I thought of two things. I thought of one. Um, I'm going to give you two scenarios, right? And two expressions of competition. Um, playing flag football here at Intramurals last year was an example of poorly expressed competition. I would say, um, you know, I'm, I, I just turned 30, um, and we got in a field, and we're playing against a college team, mostly composed of college. College, uh, college men, undergraduate, undergraduates, yeah. And there is a little chirping, as you know, happens on the, on the, on the gridiron. Birds chirp, and um, and immediately, I became 
engaged in, in, in competition and started talking back and proceeded to do so the entire game <laughs> to, the, to the dismay of my teammates and, um, and others. And when I came off the field, the whole time I was engaged. I was in flow, right? And that was, that was a fun experience. But when I came off the field, I immediately realized that what I had, what I had just done, first of all, I work with these, I work with kids. I work, not kids, excuse me. I work with college students. So this is, these are, I am in a mentorship position and this is what my behavior or my competition caused me to express this type of, which is not what I want to be doing. I, wanna, I don't want to represent myself this way. I want, at one level. And then also teammates felt uncomfortable. So I think that shows how the competition can drive to a really unselfish place. Now on the other end, to your point, I think this idea of really healthy competition is when playing basketball, we're going at it. Like you and I are going at it. And I'm doing my best to stop you. You're doing your best to stop me. But when you make a nice move and you hit a shot and I'm, my hand's right in your face, I'm going to say nice shot because I knew I did everything you can. And when I and when I come down and do that and I make it, you're going to say nice shot too. And that's, to me... That is some of the highest form of competition. And you talk about levels to it. And that's where there's you, – you're expre- and it doesn't always need to be the way. They, you could, there can be chirping and, and whatnot. I'm not saying that that doesn't have a place in, in competition. But in terms of the highest form, um, when you can exemplify mutual respect and play and admiration and by doing so uplift and empower your opponent to reach their potential as well, now you're really playing. Yeah, I was going to say that mutual respect, that's exactly what I had in my mind, creates a more complex form of play. Right. And I think that's what the highest play is, is the most complex form. When you have multiple ingredients of respect, a little bit of uh, jabbing with words to push each other, right? And equal skill level, a close game. Yeah. You need to have a close game. Without a close game, it's not fun. Right. It's not fun. And so that actually made a huge shift in my mind with how I approach all sports now because I'm a very competitive person and I want to win. I know I can win in everything. (laughs) No, there are definitely a lot of things I cannot win in. Shout out surfing. (laughs) The the ocean wins every time. Oh, the ocean wins, man. (laughs) And he's on a winning streak right now. (laughs) Um, I changed my perspective on how to play and compete my goal is to play, to be in that state of mind. And it's and it requires teamwork sometimes, yeah. depending on the game. It requires rallying. It requires making sure that the other team also contributes to my play. Because winning on a serve, on an ace, for 10 times in a row, it's fun. But that level of fun is not as complex yeah. and rich as an intense rally back and forth and back and forth 10 times and I'm breathing heavy. What's going to happen next? We're all out of position. It's chaos. It's like that tension builds to such a rich, beautiful place. Yeah. And I think the same we could say for playing in, for example, a brainstorming session, right? Where you have a complex problem you need to solve and it's your duty as a group to come up with a solution. And you can turn that into play. Yeah. You can turn that into play where you're volleying and rallying points to one another. And then the idea is, can you not 
it's not competition, right? There's no goal or for one individual to reach that solution. The ego wants it shouldn't to be. be right. Yeah, right. It shouldn't be. But if you can shift your competitive focus to like, okay, it's not about me winning, which I felt for sure in group settings where I want I want to be the one that gets the wins. It's not about me. It's a, we're we're one unit that gets that good idea. I'm thinking right. about choosing a name recently. Yeah, yeah. for a, a consulting gig. Yeah. There is this need to, I want to get the name that is the best. Right. I want to get that idea that's the best. And I want to make sure that I contribute to other people getting it too. Yes. Yes. Even if I want it also. Right. So it's like, that's again, like this juggling act of here's this game on this level and here's the meta game. Right. And I need to juggle both. Yeah. You need to be able to juggle both because, you, you know, it's just as valuable. Like, let's say we have an hour to solve this problem. If it takes us four hours because everyone's trying to find it themselves, I would I would suspect if we could balance those out, right? If, we, if, you, if you're working just as hard to have some help someone else find a solution as you are to find it yourself, it probably takes 30 minutes. If everyone in the group is doing that and we're cohesively working together. And it's fun. And it's fun. And it's fun and it's exciting and exhilarating. It's group flow, right? That's my passion. That's what I'm here to study is that experience because to me – from what I've been through in life, that are some of the, the best experiences I've ever had have been group flow where everyone loses themselves together and enter these altered states of consciousness um, that are are exhilarating, are ecstatic, right? And and it creates such bond. And I would presume, you know, oxytocin is released. So many benefits that come from that, that collective experience when everyone decides to join and communicate together. I'd rather live in that world yeah. of experiencing group flow, of playing the game and the meta game, of being competitive and watching other people be competitive and living in that who can be the best and supporting each other. Mm. That's a fun place to be. And there's the ego part of me that just wants to win, that wants to go hard and be the best ever. It's not as fun though. It's not, not as fun. It's not as fun. I'm, I'm sorry. Michael Jordan is not having as much fun as LeBron James, for example. I mean, Michael I, Jordan. I, I, I doubt his life, and he's experiencing as much intrinsic enjoyment as LeBron James. And I think that's because LeBron James has a different perspective. He's trying to be the best too, right? But he's also trying to uplift and encourage and empower others along the way. Now I don't want to start a debate on who's the on who's the goat because it's one of my least favorite conversations <laughs> because there's two they're two different individuals they're two different players with completely different styles of play so to try to argue that is a waste of time in my opinion but I think what they represent are two different approaches to life two different perspectives of play that um, would be interesting to consider especially in their context when they they have all the money they could ever want they have. They've achieved that material comfort and wealth, but how do they feel internally? How are they expressing that? Um, you know, it's it, it's something to consider, and it's something to potentially look at, and and for you to decide how you want to play your life, and how to go about failures, and yeah. how to go about every single time of competition comes up in the air, of walking down the street, how to create a little more play. Yeah, let's move into some quick fire segments. Yeah, let's do it. So introducing a new idea here. Yeah. Uh, Muse of the week. Um, And I'd love to hear from you, Jason, what has been inspiring you? What's been lighting you up, getting you up in the morning and and staying with you when you go to bed? 
what's been what's been stoking your fire this week? Hmm. If I'm gonna be completely transparent, I don't have I I don't have a muse on my mind. Okay. That carries me from morning to night. By the way, that's the name of the segment: Muse on My Mind. From <laughs> on. Yeah. I love it. What's a muse on my mind? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I really wish I had a good answer. Okay. I'll be honest. I really wish I had a good answer, and I don't. The closest thing that I have right now is I've been drawing mandalas. You know mandala? Yeah. So I've been drawing mandalas in the morning while I drink my coffee. Will you explain them though? For Mandala is a, an Eastern art form, but it actually has been shown in many art, West and East. But it's most familiar with Eastern art form, lots of circles, super symmetrical. Everything is extremely symmetrical and there's usually intricate designs in it. Uh, oftentimes it's famous for monks creating mandalas out of grains of sand. And they'll have many different color bags of colored sand and they'll go one pebble at a time. It's magnificent mandalas. And then when it's complete, they have the celebration and then they just screw it all up and destroy yeah. it. So I've been just drawing mandalas and that's been very fun and it's a very calming practice to start the morning and expressive and it's easy. It's beautiful. Um, the reason why it's not my muse of my mind completely is because I don't go to bed with it in my mind and I've kind of fallen out a little bit from it. So that's a good little checker to say, hey, what is my muse? Mm. I think we have a muse, we have muses available to us at all times. Right. And and that is a sign of my life right now. Perhaps I needed to kind of double check and say, hey, hold up, let's slow down. Where's my muse? That's a good answer and that's an honest answer. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I... I don't, there's many times where I feel I want that, right? I'm like, and, and I think it's something that we can find. It takes some effort though. It takes some effort to build some inertia. And sometimes it comes at you randomly. And other Inspiration times, does come randomly. Yeah, yeah, you know, and you and when it does, grab on and, and, and go with it. And then it, it can might be drop cultivated. Yeah, right. right. There's an great author once said, was asked, um, does he wait for, inspiration to hit or does and only write when he's inspired or does he plan out um, and disregard how he feels he says luckily i get inspired every morning and that happens at 9 a.m every morning when i wake up and the inspiration hits so he kind of has a double take where he says no matter right. what happens i wake up and it's there yeah yeah uh, how about you what is your what is your muse of the week um my muse is right now you know it, it's sort of twofold and i'm trying to wrap it into to one um but I'd say language. I'd say language and exploring how to utilize language to express one's true, its truest self and to get at the essence of meaning of whatever it is you're trying to convey. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a PhD in the writing program, and he's writing this wonderful dissertation that gets at the conscious use of language. Um, so that conversation had got me thinking about how I'm speaking and how I'm choosing to create meaning in this world. And then I just recently listened to a podcast uh, where the guest had the most beautiful expressions um, and, and choice of words. He's a true artist with language. And it was really inspiring to me. So from that and with that, I am being more conscious of how I'm speaking and choosing words. And also, uh, like today, uh, I just ordered a dictionary. 
like an old school Webster because I, you know, just like flip through and find new words and maybe something strikes me as as being um, something I want to add and, and incorporate because it's a because it gets at what I'm trying to convey more accurately than I'm currently doing. So so language is definitely my muse right now. Yeah, we think in words. We can connect that yeah. to other people's brains. We can systematically transfer our thoughts into other people's thoughts yeah. to the use of language. And, and we can create, we can paint pictures for others, right? And, and the use of our words allows us to, it, 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 the more words we have, the more colors we have in our, in our palette, right? And in our better mastery, we know, we know which colors to mix at which components to create that perfect blue sky with fluffy white clouds, right? And, um, and it also, if we're able to communicate clearly and effectively and based on what's actually occurring in reality, I think that's really powerful, right? Because now we're experiencing, we're getting closer to expressing and experiencing reality for what it is rather than what we're trying to make it, if that makes sense. So that's a long explanation of my muse. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, what about your flow? You might not have a muse. But what about a flow for the week? Flow of the week's been playing guitar. I've been watching you jam. Yeah, uh, I love it, man. I really love it. I love creating instrumental pieces that are very rhythmic and repeat over mm. and over again. I kind of get lost in it. And it becomes this buildup. And it's I love finger picking on acoustic guitar. And so that's just been something that I, I will pick up all the time and just keep playing and keep playing and keep playing. And it is a, it is a form of language. It's a musical yeah. language of expression. So, and I love making little videos because it reminds me of songs hmm. that I need to continue to develop. And then by sharing them, not only does it save it so I can look back and say, okay, yeah, that's a song I want to develop more. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully it does create some inspiration for others to slow down. If I want my music to slow down my brain oh, cool. a little bit at jasonbeck.life <laughs> if you want to hear some acoustic jams. Yeah. yeah. How about you? That's awesome. Um, for me, it's been, um, I've been really interested in, in not, not necessarily in researching. Okay. So researching has been my flow, but researching a topic that's very foreign and confusing. So deep learning, like artificial intelligence, deep learning, um, and, and what's going on in, in this subset of tech industry um, around deep learning and AI safety and beginning to unpack something that I wanted to avoid, <laughs> right? Like labeling, like AI, I would be like, okay, I'll never know what that means, right? So beginning to unpack that and it, it's, it's, I guess it's research, but for me, it's, it's like a wild goose chase. Like I'll see one word I don't know, so I'll go down that rabbit hole which will lead me to another subject. And, and then, so I'm building this model, um, which is really fun and challenging. So, um, stay tuned. I may have, I may have something to share with this in a few weeks. It also sounds like some amazing curiosity. Yeah. Right. Like underneath whatever topic you chose, like you're choosing a topic you don't know. Yeah. Okay. So that means you're just being ultra curious. Yeah. Leonardo da Vinci was known as like the curiosity king because huh. he that's what the biggest quality. He just was curious of everything. So that's awesome that you're able to just go to a diverse random topic, novel topic that you're not studying, just dive deep into it. Right. Yeah. And I have 
great teachers too. I'm getting, you know, just having conversations, especially with people that want to teach or want to want to learn. I think that's one of the a great thing to do is find find someone that loves and passionate about a topic, and you ask them questions, mm-hmm. and they will just pour it out, and you can learn so much from that because. More so than I think YouTube videos, regardless of what people say, because you're feeding off the energy of that individual yeah. and the passion is just is, is there's that human connection that is really effective, in my opinion. Great. How about the challenge of the week? <sighs> challenge of the week. Um, my challenge of the week is diet. Diet related. Uh, very basic, but to not eat late. And to better, be better organized around my meals, uh, I was in. I mentioned I I was in Texas a little while back and ate a bunch of barbecue, and just felt really heavy, you know. And I came back, and part of me, I think my body's just like, don't eat anything, um, which isn't really good. So getting <laughs> yeah. on like a regular diet, I think, is what I'm interested in doing. And um, oftentimes I'll be engaged in work or whatnot, and I'll forget to eat. So um, I guess what I, my challenge to myself is to find a diet that works for me, both food and timing-wise, um, and then be disciplined enough to prepare meals and do what needs to be done to eat well. Hmm. And I know that's a big passion of yours too is nutrition and the body-food yeah. connection. That's the thing. I know I know what I need to know about it. I have the information. It's just a matter of implementing it. And uh, and easier said than done. And after traveling, it's hard to get right. back into that kind of habit. Yeah, and we talked, you know, yeah, yeah we, we discussed that too. Um, what about you? Mine would probably be boundary respecting for sleep. Okay. I need sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in that phase right now, you know. Yeah. That's probably why my muse has been hard to uncover is because sleep has been difficult to get by. I've been moving a lot of places and catching up and doing these projects, moving around, driving places, and it's been a little hectic. So I think my sleep has been uh, not cared for. Man, when I'm getting like, when my sleep wake up time changes drastically, Mm. and doesn't find a set pattern, and I'm also not getting proper amount for me eight hours i think six hours is possible if i wake up at the same time Mm. and i go to bed at the same time yeah but it's like going to bed at 12 wake up at five go to bed at 10 wake up at four it's like these random things are happening i'm switching constantly and so sleep has been a challenge and my biggest solution to that is saying Peace out, guys. I'm respecting my time, and I'm gonna just gonna go bed tonight. Turn my phone off at mm. six p.m. And so, sleep, sleep. And do you have you know? Because I know, you know, we we would discuss before. I I respected and appreciated your sleep schedule because you seem to you take your sleep seriously. Yeah. Right. You're not playing when it comes to sleep. <laughs> but yeah, uh, maybe I should. But <laughs> but no, I think it. I think it's healthy. I mean, and how you know you mentioned. T- Turn your phone off. I know sleep's you know sleep's something I think about. Sleep's something a lot of people think about. So, for someone that has explored, you know how to sleep well, can you offer like a few things you do to myself? To yourself when when you're when you're on your game and when you are sleeping. Yeah, for me, to... this is like a good thing to speak out loud and yeah. use words consciously. Yeah, to go feedback <laughs> into my own intentions. Right. Settling down into sleep. It's not like get off the phone, shut it off, turn off the lights, go to bed. It's like for me really settling in. I like to practice a little mindfulness, five, 10 minutes 
before sleep. Um, I like to turn the lights lower, move slower. Don't engage in digital conversation or communication. Definitely mm -hmm. don't go on social media. Anything that triggers novelty or stimulation, mm. it will, you'll have a hard time getting into sleep mode. Drinking proper amount of water. Don't drink coffee six hours to eight hours before any caffeine six to eight hours. I think the half-life yeah. is something like six hours for caffeine. Mm. So knowing that. And waking up properly. It's probably one of the, the biggest things that are important. So like waking up by getting out of the room, getting sunshine, getting getting sunlight immediately hmm. will help reset that clock. Interesting. Right. Getting sunlight immediately will tell yourself, okay, it's wake up time. Time to wake the body up naturally. Um, and then darkness while you go to bed, it's like, okay, time to settle it down. And having the same time resets that circadian rhythm. Same time. That's really good advice. I'm going to use that today i think i'm gonna actually lift my shades up so the sun wakes me up um and go to bed early because i also could benefit from some, <laughs> from, from some sleep as i think you know a lot of people could um and that's what we got that's what we got for today thank um, you yeah so very learning conversation this time i feel like i'm uh, i'm ready for the for the week ahead for the rest of the week yeah and into the weekend yeah no, this was good I, i'm jazzed up yeah well we're headed to the gym um Thank you all for joining, listening in, and uh, coming to you live from Studio B3 at CGU. We'll see you soon. Peace out. <laughs>